Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. We're matching. Hey. Polo Day, Polo Friday around the office. Arizona Sports Golf Polo Friday, as it's known. As we do, we golf after work on... We don't. We never... Do you golf? I don't... Don't even say that out loud because then Tyler Drake will be like, were you guys serious (laughs) on the podcast? Do you guys want to come golf? We're not going to golf with you, Tyler. I'm not going to. I I don't really like golfing. I I gotta be that person. I tried, and I would get like I like get mad at things, and I would like happy go more swing my club at a tree and snap the. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm. I might be more mature now. There are other sports that serve the purpose of a nice, relaxing three to four hours that you can play that aren't like bocce ball, bowling. Exactly. Golf is just hard. It's just super hard. And bowling is just anyone can do it. Bocce ball, anyone can do it. What is the uh, the sack toss dealio? What's the name oh, of that? Cornhole? Horn, cornhole. Oh, cornhole. Yeah, like yeah. all that stuff. Like, I know I can, that's not a sport, quote unquote. No, but. it's... I can get rage, like competitive rage <laughs> and play cornhole well. Like that's where I judge the sport. I see. I, f- I think you can get the competitive juices flowing elsewhere while relaxing, I guess. Yeah. The, the relaxing nature of golf you can find in other places. There are a places. few sports. I we got to stop talking. We're okay. going to alienate people who like golf, which is a lot of people who, who live in We've Arizona lost, because Arizona's we'll see got all a lot the, of Two minutes of in, the, the podcast will just drop a bunch of people. My dad's going to be disappointed. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Update desk. Here's the latest on the ESPN story of allegations. Each of these things I mentioned, you can read about on ArizonaSports.com. We are not going to discuss it any further because you guys have heard it by now. There's nothing new for us to say on the matter. Because of these updates, they're just what's happening. Baxter Holmes released another story. This one was that Penny Sarber had texted slash messaged a few former Suns employees. She accused them of lying, uh, brought up her family, and one of them said it was destroying her family, what was going on. This was interpreted by those who received the messages as being threatening. And then Penny Sarver confirmed to ESPN that it was her who sent those messages and she was not trying to be intimidating in any sort of fashion. The full, and I say full, uh transcription video whatever you want to call it of robert sarver at a a delivering a eulogy which was a roast am i am i saying that correctly post yeah it was like six months after dick heckman who was an owner died his wife had a roast and he spoke for about 10 minutes he did this was a story that came out on true hoop from henry abbott over the summer but as I predicted to a couple of different people a couple of weeks ago, I was like, things are going to start coming up that we kind of already knew about or we didn't know about, but things are going to start coming up because that's how these news cycles work. Voila, here's Sports Illustrated getting the full, um, the, their scoop, quote unquote, was just getting the full video or, or whatever it was necessarily. You can go read that if you would like to. I have no opinion on that. And then the 
more of the gears turning and everything getting in motion. Our own Dan Bickley reported that the NBA hired firm investigating allegations against the Phoenix Suns and owner Robert Sarver will arrive in Arizona on Tuesday. We were recording this on Friday, so a couple days away. Yep, and again, we don't know timeline on that. I think I read the Mavericks investigation, which obviously, again, is very different. It took about seven months, and that was, I guess, the closest far as PR, how an operation works, culture, that kind of thing. That took that long. Again, different situation, law firm provided by the league is coming in so what comes out of that's going to dictate how adam silver acts in all this if he acts at all this has been your nba investigation into the phoenix suns update please join us next episode for our next update let's talk about basketball now to the courts the suns have won six games in a row kevin i would characterize these wins as the back half, at least, as their best wins of the season so far, but not in a way where it was like, that was an awesome win. The Hawks win was their best one of the season so far. I thought they played solid, and they were okay against the Cleveland Cavaliers, which, again, upgrade. And then, I don't really know what to say about the Trailblazers effort, because Portland was just awful, and Phoenix was, was fine. I thought their defense was the most encouraging part of that game. And then Frank Kaminsky went nuts. Do you want to talk about the form the team is in? Or Frank to, to start. I mean, let's talk Frank first. Why not? Let's give the guy his due. 31 points for Frank Kaminsky in Thursday's win. Wednesday. Over the Portland Trailblazers <laughs> minus a day. It was on Wednesday. <laughs> I got the day of the week right, at least, when I said Friday. Yeah. It's progress for me. Yeah, we're fine. He has scored 74 points in the four games that... Mr. Aiden has missed with his right leg contusion. He is doubtful for today's game against Memphis, but has been upgraded from out to doubtful. So that indicates that there is progress being made. I asked Monty before Wednesday's game if is there progress being made, like where is he at compared to a couple days ago, and he didn't have anything for me. So... We don't know. Uh, we, we don't know how long it's going to be for Aiden, but Monty did say about nearly a week ago now, it was uh, after practice on Sunday, I believe, is when he said it could be a couple of games for him. So we were we were expecting something like this, perhaps. So for those of you getting your wild theories out there involving Jalen Rose and such, uh, we are not going to entertain those or discuss those. He was on the bench Wednesday. I will leave it at that. But with his absence comes the opening for minutes. And Frank Kaminsky has played terrific while not... Is this the right way to describe it, Kevin? Is that it has been... I'm trying to think of the right word. Reusable is the word that I'm coming to. It has been It has been organic and natural. It has not been a, oh my God, Frank Kaminsky's hitting six threes a night. He's super hot. It's like, no, everything that he's doing on the court is what we've known he can always do. It's just that he's producing at a really high rate while doing so. The defense is probably the biggest upgrade, of course, but offensively, it's like we, we've known he could do this, but just the production has really been there, too. Oh, as Arizona followers, we saw him produce at high levels before as an offensive player. Um, maybe the Trailblazers game was a little like 
he led the team with 18 shots. That's what they were doing. Was it mostly Nurk? I'm I'm trying to think that he was squaring off against. So there were they tried a bunch of stuff. They were like switching at some points, and then the Suns were like, "Okay, we'll get Norman Powell on him in the post and put him six yeah. feet under the basket." Yeah, and then they weren't doubling him, but then they doubled him late, and then he was passing, and it was just it, over. But it was still like organic in that he wasn't forcing shots like his shots were all open or against a mismatch or within the offense because of just how they were defending him so I I don't expect him to do that again but to keep scoring in the different ways yeah I think I tweeted a very short sentence or something but the thing that stands out to me with him is like he plays like a different player physically like he doesn't look that different if at all compared to the past few years but like i think that the the Jonas game when he was being a presence at least with one of the stronger centers in the in the post and holding his own and making him miss shots was like a huh that doesn't that that's new i think um but there are other examples whether it's you know posting up even norman powell like there are lots of times in the past where he would have missed bunnies and easy hook shots over smaller players um and and he's just playing with more physicality where it looks comfortable but again like you said i think the skill set's always been there the shot yeah the ball moving yeah like he tries on defense he's just been oftentimes it just looks like physically overmatched so i don't know if there's anything he's done to his body but he's older i don't know but he looks that, stronger. That has changed how, like, what looked like a, oh, like, he does good things, moves the ball, but he's going to get overwhelmed on defense. That's not happening right now. And I think that's the bigger deal that's allowing you to not only have him put up numbers, but just, like, that you can tell me if you have plus-minus numbers up there, but I'm sure they're good the last few games. They are quite good. Uh, I don't mean for this to be an I told you so campaign. You guys know on the, not talking about the point guard, that we are accustomed to on this podcast we don't really do that type of stuff i'm just saying it as we had this discussion about four weeks ago when we were talking about strengths of this team and we talked about how much of a strength it was for this team to have him as their third big because now that javel is like your everyday backup you've got you've got this guy who can just come in and and be that backup or even on some occasions be the starter like he was And, and again to go back to that discussion in in like a different Light, you you can talk about guys like Frank and be like, oh yeah, like he can come in and start in a pinch if you want, like Alfred Payton or whatever. But it's like Frank has done that on this team for two seasons already. So he comes in, he knows the system, and he has had to start a like if they come out of this and say they want him to play and they're going to play him at the four, he's done that before. So I I just think that that's very very encouraging. Eleven point four net rating for him is pretty high on the team. Mikel was the only guy in the rotation who had like a decent really net rating, but now all the, all of them are starting to hop a little bit. Mikel's at 9.5. Frank is at 11.4. I'm sure his plus minus like totals are, are pretty ridiculous. I'll pull those up in a minute. But this is just kind of what we talked about. But I think to go back to what I said, the production is what stands out. If he was doing this on like 12 points a game or whatever, or just was getting like 8 there, 9 there, 11 there. But, I mean, he is becoming like their second or third leading scorer some nights. And then for him to do it in that game on Wednesday when Book was 5 of 15, when Chris 
He scored 21, but he only had 14 through the first three quarters, and they would have been down by a good margin heading into the fourth quarter if it wasn't for someone else scoring. JaVale McGee was their highest score after that with 14, and Frank had 31. So it was it was a pretty sizable contribution that he's had in all of these games uh, on the points and then just on the impact too. At a wider angle, you probably have a better brain for this than me thinking of it right now. But like, what other NBA team has had like carved out that role for the backup center, whoever it is, where they have such a game changing influence, not only from like a here are numbers, here's good play, but like style because if you go back to the Aaron Baines year with and without DA like he did this um Dario obviously had amazing numbers and played great last regular season mostly JaVale they're trying to get more out of that when this year started and now it's Frank as like I know this is a really small sample size but behind JaVale or if he ends up holding on to those minutes when DA comes back I think that's a really interesting thing that a lot of teams like you think backup center okay it's just some guy who can do energy stuff and maybe rebound but is very limited but the Suns have done a really good job I think bringing in these guys who like add something new to the offense and I'm not taking this down like a let's crap on DA thing which I know some people will say I'm doing but DA what is what he is, um, and I, I just think it's a really good change of pace, like in the NFL, like a change of pace running back where you get in this little guy who can catch passes, and suddenly a defense has to completely rethink and rewire how it is playing. So I think that's a lot of credit goes to Monty, but also like they've found some guys who play this role really well. Mike Veal had a really good tweet where he was just saying the stuff that Frank does on short rolls and all that kind of stuff, the dribbling, the pull-up, the three-dribble spin move, all that kind of stuff, that is the type of stuff that would make Aiden such a better player, and it would also be something that isn't crazy. If you were to ask me like four years ago, will he have that in his game by now, I probably would have said yes, just based on the amount of talent that we saw him have, how it looked when he would handle the ball, just his like footwork and everything, which is excellent. You would have assumed that he had that in his game by now, and he doesn't, which is fine. But I also think that's looking through a lens of DeAndre gets like three bodies around him a lot when he dives, and Frank doesn't. So I think that he has less room to operate, but I do think that when that room is there to operate, it's still not in his game as much. And having that change of pace to have someone like that in that can bring that to their game is is very helpful for this team. Now the big question is, the next time we podcast, I would assume, if we're talking like a week from today, I would assume DeAndre is back by then, just based on the trajectory that we're going on. I got the interpretation, Monty flat out said like Wednesday, JaVale played well too. He is under the interpretation that, that JaVale is playing well, we'll say that. I think that JaVale's playing okay. I don't know that he's been great. There's a bit too much of what we talked about earlier, which is... You come in here, you are embraced. They want you to play free, a la what we've talked about Landry Shamit, and then Javel is like, okay, and then <laughs> keeps going. And what we talked about with usage rate, I mean, in that game, Kevin, in the Portland game, Javel took three shots in the first two minutes, and no one else had taken more than one. And I was like, like I understand that's what the defense is giving you and all that kind of stuff, but man, like, it's he should not be a guy who's taking that many shots, but he continues to be on this team. 
just based on what the defense is giving them and also the way this team is, which is like, yeah, let's get Javel going. Stout works around there, and, and that's completely fine. But that's kind of like my point on how Javel has played, and there's just a, some erratic moments as well. He got in foul trouble against Portland, but I think that he's starting to come along better in the past week. With all that being said, how do you not move Frank into the backup spot after this stretch if it continues for the next week? If he yeah levels off a bit, it's easy to do. But if it's if he comes out tonight against Memphis and scores 12-15 again and plays well and then does it again on this road trip that they have, they have a back-to-back on Sunday that starts on Sunday. And if they come into Dallas on Wednesday and maybe that Wednesday game or that Friday game is when DA comes back, I don't see how you look anything it has to be bare minimum in my opinion it has to be bare minimum that he's got the backup spot it cannot be like he's going to be the third big and we're going to play him in spot minutes i don't think it can be that i just think he brings a lot more with and and again it's they both like frank had 31 points in 32 minutes javel had 14 and 16 minutes so it's not like the offense or like even like i guess i'm fine with JaVale's usage if that's what is being allowed but my bigger thing is like the times when he's helping he sinks down there's an open three-point shooter and it's a breakdown that looks like he's not guarding anyone that's the stuff to me that's a bigger problem with him and as good of a shot blocker he is he does not and how long he is how good he jumps he is not super great at switching and staying in front of guys he had five fouls in those 16 minutes otherwise he maybe probably would have played more if frank's gonna play defense and hold up against bigger guys i don't see why you wouldn't go with frank is what i'm saying and and there are gonna be moments where like some team has just a like if bobin like if he's playing and putting points on you yeah you go to javel in a certain game and I think JaVale can fit that role really well, and he'd be willing to. So I, I do think Frank is just the better option. But again, I'm also fine with saying Monty has time to kind of feel this out and not make, okay, you're done. So Correct. Know. I'm not... Uh... I'm just saying that's my opinion on I think what should be done, but if it's not, I'm not saying that's a huge miss or in that right. square. That's, like, that's Twitter to me. The most annoying part of Twitter to me is when you say something and people automatically assume it is a harsh criticism of the person or that is your hardcore stance and anything else you feel is completely incorrect. It's like, no, just if if anyone was to ask me what should they do, that's what I would say. I would say they should just put Frank in as the backup and go from there and then Javel will find spots where they can. There will be more injuries to come. Look, if they've got a matchup coming where they've got like a really – I'm trying to think of like backup fives across the league that you would be like legitimately worried about. But I mean, he just walled up Jonas. So, and yeah. like Jonas is like one of the prime examples you would think of of a guy where you'd be like, I don't know if you can have Frank out there while Jonas is out there. And he already proved that wrong. Another reason I think they need him out there, Kevin, is shooting. It's only 14 attempts so far for him on the season, but he's at 36%, which is the fifth best three point shooting percentage on this team. Guys like, uh, <clears throat> Guys like Cam Johnson are at 32%. Jay Crowder's at 30% right now. Abdul Nader is at 22 I mean, that's only on like five or six total attempts, really. But they're only getting really three guys shooting well from three. That's Chris Paul and Landry Shamit at 40%. And then Mikel's at 395 And then after that, everyone's league average or below. Um, I think like they need the shooting as well and the spacing, too. 
Yeah, like Philly, if they had Embiid and Drummond, like, yeah, go with JaVale. But I'm with you. Frank has earned it. Like, JaVale will have his moments. There will be time. That's a, that's a big, and that's going back to what I was saying earlier. You have designed this environment. Everyone's looking out for you. Everyone's doing their best to accommodate you. JaVale's been around a really long time. I really doubt he would look at it and be slighted by it because he's seeing it in front of him how awesome Frank has been. Play Nader in front of all of them, man. Wow. <laughs> how vindictive was that three minutes for you of that game? Oh, it was great. We talked about it. We already we already went there. We don't need. Can that. we point we out? There. Can we point out though? Someone sent us a picture. I think you saw that yeah. someone actually has a Nader hater like N license plate N the number eight, <laughs> the letter R, and then H the number eight, the letter R, which is crazy. And they said like they were listening to the podcast while they saw that. Just nuts. Shout we, out to that that person. I forgot who it was. I'm sorry, but anyway, I I don't agree with that person's. like license plate but i appreciate the pettiness to get that license plate all right moving on sorry no you're okay um (laughs) moving on to where the team is at as a whole we broke down the players so much last week with our little quick two-minute hits on everyone that i think we're we're good on that i mean everything is still pretty much the same as it was before so i don't think except your little four minutes of abdul (laughs) nader great play that that you love um, and I'm, I'm with you on last episode. I think that he has a role in this team, and I kind of like tweeted that at the game. Um, this this part of the podcast kind of conclude, just zoom out and look at their general play, I think is going to be more useful to people who have had the mindset of mine. For, for lack of a better phrasing, I was a little bit more, more pessimistic about the, the way they were playing three games ago compared to you, and you were the one kind of course correcting us and being like, well... They are, you know, they are five and three. They are four and three. Whatever it was at the time, and they're and they're figuring things out. And they're coming off of all this kind of stuff. But the numbers are are pretty encouraging right now, to be honest. Uh, the one that stands out to me, and all of this is off clean the glass. So if you look at numbers and they're kind of off comparatively, that's because the numbers in this table on clean the glass exclude garbage time and possessions at the end of quarters that one likely that are that are likely to end in a heave. So they kind of eliminate everything that is bogus uh, to throw off the numbers just a smidge and give you as much accuracy as possible. Win differential is a stat where it basically indicates your record is a lie. For example, yeah. the 7-4 Dallas Mavericks are at an expected win total of 4.3 right now. That means their 2.7 win differential is like far and away the best. The second best win differential is Memphis, who's at 2.2, who they played tonight. That's because Memphis is 30th in defense right now. They're dead last in defense, but they're 6-5, and five, so there's some stuff to be done there. The Suns are 6th, which is at 1.0 for the win differential, 7-3, and three, which I think is fair, but it's not crazy high like Dallas or Memphis, which the numbers say, like, frauds, frauds, frauds. Like, the Lakers are at 1.8 for 7-5. and five. That's like a fraud number, I mean, basically. just look how many of these teams that the Suns have played are good. Denver? Yeah, sure. Uh, Cleveland actually might be up there for me. And then like LA, Portland, eh, eh, SAC, eh. Hawks are not playing well. They've had the second easiest schedule so far is what I okay. heard. Zach That's what I'm trying podcast. to get at. Yeah. So, I mean, but, th- but being seven and three right now, trying to find yourself, I think that's why we had high expectations about their win total by the end of the year, because like, even though we can agree, they're not playing like their best basketball. I think they're, they're still going to reel off wins at a pretty high rate. 
Ninth in offense, 13th in defense. That makes them one of seven teams in the league right now that is in the top half of both of those. Do you know who has like the best numbers there in terms of their offense and their defense when you look is at Is it going to be the Wizards? No. Okay. No. Think about it. Regular season domination. The Bucks. What? West. Who was with them at the top of the standings last year? Oh, the Jazz. Oh, I don't they know are why third I in offense and first in defense. They just that makes keep sense. on chugging over they're, there. They're yeah. uh, don't ever put me on the spot. Or no, sorry, that's Golden State. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's it Golden State. That. They're third yeah. on offense, first on the the Jazz are right there too. I just misread them. They're they're second in offense, ninth in defense. So they're one of the. Those are the three teams, or there's four teams. Miami and Chicago are the other ones that are top yeah. ten in everything. But yeah, Golden State is just off to an incredible start. Warriors are legit. Yeah, yeah, they're ten and one in that expected win differential. By the way, their win differential is only zero point seven at ten and one. So the numbers say like they're pretty legit with how they're beating we, teams right now. We are talking about neither of us has, have really watched a ton outside the Suns, but like just because the Warriors have been on TV, I guess like I've seen enough of them. I know they're good. I went on a like numbers dive on them about a week ago and i'm sure the numbers hold up right now as i look at them and and click on the wrong links in the process but basically what i did was i lined them up with the and again i'm not this is why i gotta preface (laughs) i'm not saying this is the 73 win wizards or wizards sorry the warriors i'm not saying it's that team at all it's not it's not happening but the two things that that golden state team was tremendous at passing the ball defense they have a 70.7 percent assist percentage right now which is over 5% higher than any other team. And the number for them in those Kerr golden eras when they were winning 60 to 70 games a year was around 68 to 72%. They were right in that range. And then defense, they were number one in the league or top five in the league pretty much for all those years. They're number one in defensive rating right now. And then going back to clean the glasses numbers, they're number one on there too. So I think they're extremely legit right now i'm fascinated to see what happens when wiseman comes back because remember oh, yeah. everything snapped back into place once wiseman was hurt and now it's like okay are you guys just going to sit him because you probably just should yeah play him right now yeah they're fun i mean going back to last year at the end of last year they were tops in defense if you put it over the last month or something their roles are super interesting like iggy's now basically like a backup point guard and they're letting gary payton to just like dunk He's fun also, by the way. Sorry, I'll get off the words now. It was did we have did we have our podcast for that? I don't think we did. I, I found the piece I wrote on Bright Side of the Sun like six years ago where I was like, Gary Payton the second should be a first round pick. That has not held up at all just because of a two week sample size where he's been great. But it's I've always had stock. I've always loved him. Oregon State loved him. I covered him at the Pac twelve tournament and he had like a triple double, was pulling down like fifteen rebounds, and he's like six feet tall. It's like, dude's not normal. He's not. I'm really excited to see the Warriors and the Suns play every time they play this year. That We haven't gotten one yet, which I think is kind of good because we just want to see the Suns kind of get a little bit. We want to see the teams at their best. And I think the Warriors are just full speed chugging right now and the Suns are still getting there. Yeah. There are two numbers when looking across like all the cleaning the glasses stuff that are concerning. I'm looking at shot frequency right now, which means the um, the percentage of these shots that are their total shots. 28.4% at the rim, which is 28th in the league. They were 30th last year. They have Chris Paul and Dem Booker, who are their two primary initiators, who go from the mid-range more than anywhere else. Kevin, Chris Paul is taking 71% of his shots from the mid-range this year. 71. What was it last year? 
64, which was his career high still, and it's like way higher. He's Ricky Rubio is getting to the rim a lot more than that. He just never has, though. That's the thing. Like Chris Paul yeah. has never ever done that, but it's even like more extreme right now. And I'm curious to see if it bumps up a little bit as the season goes on. So that's fine. Uh, the mid-range uh, frequency, they're second in the league, about 40% of their shots, which is a little bit higher, about 3 or 4% higher than last year. The big drop-off, Kevin, is threes. They're 28th in the league in the amount of threes that they're generating for their total shots. That's at 31.8%. They were around 35 or 36 last year, which was 16th in the league, which is fine. That's serviceable. Got to get that up. So I'm, I'm curious to see how those numbers go. But Kevin... Maybe something we just haven't talked about enough on here, and we've talked about players struggling, players like not shooting the ball well, blah, 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 all that, all that kind of stuff, right? At the end of the day, this is the team that has the fourth best shooting accuracy at the rim, the second best shooting accuracy at the mid range. So that's 50, or sorry, 69% nice at the rim. They are at 46% from the mid range. And then all that three point worry we were talking about, Kevin, when you take out garbage time, which is a lot, they're at 36.2%. I think their original number right now is like 34.7, so it's a percent and a half bump when you take out garbage time. They've had a lot of games in there, which is 10th in the league right now. Yeah. So they're a top 10 team in shooting accuracy in all three areas, which I would assume makes them the only team in the league doing that right now, which is just an awesome factoid about them right now as I scroll through. Yeah, Brooklyn shooting. Oh, I don't want to <laughs> talk about Brooklyn. Gonna, that's going to take a minute. I think... The more encouraging and, and something else that I saw on here was they look at offensive half-court offense. They're fourth in the league right now in, in half-court offense. Again, Chris Paul team, you kind of expect that kind of stuff, right? Transition offense, they're 10th, oh, which is, which is better than terrible. you would think. Exactly, yeah. you were uh, The listeners don't know, you were wincing, as I said, transition offense, and you were ready to uh, McHale Bridges, Devin Booker to McHale Bridges more yes. uh, specifically. It's probably mostly that. Half-court defense, 11th. Mm-hmm. That is the bread and butter there. If you are going to be a top-10 offense in the league, you need to be able, or defense, you need to be able to guard half-court offenses, and they have done that better than I thought. 11th is, is better than I would think because we've seen the amount of breakdowns that they've had, open shooters, all that kind of stuff. Here's the bad number, 27th in transition defense. Yeah, uh, that is That is points added per 100 possessions, which is the per 100 possessions, but how many points does a team get added against them that come from transition? And the big one for them is off of steals. They're 27th in the amount of those that come off steals, and 26th off live rebounds as well. So off a miss. That's that's a tough one, and that's that's the one that's come up, I think, the most in terms of defense helping offense, offense helping defense, vice versa. Uh, For comparison's sake, last year and and this is where like the numbers get interesting and, and again encouraging for those of you that kind of want to and and i choose to kevin you know i i really just choose to believe in those numbers Optimist, and, yeah. and and optimistic that they will return they were 27th off live rebounds last year as well so that there isn't that that's somewhere that they struggled last year 15th though off steals they weren't really like live ball turnovers that wasn't really their thing as much but 24th in transition defense overall last year so it wasn't really a huge strength of their team uh and then the only other one was offensive rebound percentage which they were 28th this year if you think about that jake crowders are starting power forward so it's on deandre Ayton to get pretty much all of the offensive rebounds and he hasn't played right now so that number's even lower than it normally would be 
But I mean, everything else is just like looking good. Turnover percentage is 10th. I think that's a little bit low compared to where they normally are. Usually they just take care of the ball super duper well, but fourth in effective field goal percentage. And then in terms of defense, top 10 enforcing a high turnover percentage, which is what you like to see. Yeah. Just my long winded way of running through the numbers and saying, like, this team is, I think, actually played a lot better than we've. The numbers say they've played a lot better than we we thought which is a little bit of something worth noting i think yeah i mean i think over the six game win streak which we've covered most of in past episodes um but they look like themselves like it's they first few games they did not maybe first four five six now they've kind of hit a stride at least where they're not i wouldn't say locked in but their identity and stuff like that looks like okay this is them and Again, there are pieces that will be interesting to see. I think McGee Kaminsky is going to figure itself out naturally. Um, Frank's just put his foot down again. I think the backcourt with Landry, I think, is the next thing where I want to take the next few weeks and see how that goes and how Monty can kind of put his focus in there and see if he can get you know sets for him, get him in rhythm. He had. A couple flashes where his shot looks good. Uh, again, again, there was a really small stretch where he didn't look good, but yeah. To go back to the, the gears turning, I think that for the offense, the way in which he's able to either, if he's staggering Booker and Paul, it's obvious, but the way that he's able to utilize Payne and Shamit with one of those guys or with each other is going to determine how well the offense keeps spinning throughout the entire year in terms of consistency across 48 minutes, which is still what they're searching for. I think their most consistent, their best, most consistent game so far has been the Atlanta win. Would you agree? And then nothing else has really come close to that because of the Sacramento fourth quarter of yeah, really cringe. Portland game last game wasn't terrible, right? I just think if Portland is hitting shots, I just that don't they know if that's do, Portland though. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if Portland's normally hitting shots, they do. They're really in trouble there. But maybe Chris and Devin step up in that case. I'm not really sure. Fifteen games in 26 days was the slate, Kevin, that began on Tuesday, November 2nd. It pretty much runs through all of November, but this is where it really starts because they were on a five-game homestand. The last three games of that homestand were in that mix. They went to Sacramento, then they came back for Portland, but now they fly across the country to Memphis and play there today. And then they have a back-to-back of Houston and Minnesota. And for people listening, I was in the same kind of position where, one, I wasn't around everyone and heard the way they were talking and just like the way that an NBA season, the gruels of it, and especially people who travel like Dwayne Rankin with the Arizona Republic – Houston to Minnesota, you think, okay, those are two bad teams. But think of a flight from Houston to Minnesota on the second game of a back-to-back when you were in Memphis on Friday. So it's basically a triangle. Like you're going Phoenix, well, once you're in Memphis. Memphis to Houston and then to Minnesota, except you're flying back. So it's like a little zigzag. You're going southwest, then you're going straight north, and then you're going southwest. This country's pretty tall, Kellen. There's a lot of space from the top to the bottom. That's tough. And then you come home, you play Dallas on Wednesday and Friday, and then Denver on Sunday, and then take a two-hour flight to San Antonio on that Monday. By the way, that win differential stat, very sneaky that the Spurs are the worst in terms of they are, I think it was minus 2.7 wins worse than they should be at 4-7. and I found that a little bit surprising. Then they go from San Antonio to Cleveland on a Wednesday, and then they end this whole shenanigan-filled evening with New York and Brooklyn on Friday and Saturday, which people look at, and that's where you go, like, travel. Okay, there's no travel, but you're also playing two very good teams in New York and Brooklyn to end it. Cleveland's good, too. 
I don't see a team on here outside of Houston and Minnesota where you at least could argue that they're bull, like really just just bad teams. I think yeah. San Antonio's below average. Cleveland's kind of in there, but could be decent. Why is ESPN having two Dallas Phoenix games back to back at the same time at 8 p.m.? It's weird. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. And then after that Brooklyn game, they actually get two days off. They have a Sunday and a Monday off before they Ooh. play Golden State on Tuesday. But then they have a back-to-back like right after that. Oh, it gets um, real tough after that. December. I'm looking way ahead, but December looks tough. December looks tough, but then you finally, again, like the way that the schedules line up sometimes. So then they go through this absolutely grueling month, and then they're off for three straight days in December at home. But then they have a back-to-back of L.A. Portland, then Washington Charlotte is a stretch where we looked at that last year and kind of went, that's a pretty easy stretch. Not this year. Those are two pretty good teams, right now at least. And then it's like Christmas time. Holy smokes, buddy. <laughs> this, this schedule flies by. Then you have by. to work. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Frank time. It's been fun to watch. The seven and three Phoenix Suns. I guess to go back to your point on like you wanted to like kind of zoom out and just look at other teams across the league, just to give the West picture right now, since like we haven't talked about it out loud. Ten and one Warriors at the top, and then it is the seven and three Suns, followed by the eight and four Jazz. At seven and four sit the Mavericks, Nuggets, and Clippers, who I believe, yeah, they've won six straight. They were they're in the same category of the Suns where they started one and four and then they won six straight and the sun started one and three and they won six straight the two teams that men the west conference finals how about that lakers seven and five they've played like 400 overtime games so far lebron has been sidelined ad is like passed out in the hallways <laughs> of the arena after some of these efforts just to get wins they just lost austin reeves tough oh, blow no. to their team Kellen's yeah guy. just just two weeks he's been playing well he was I see some people. I'll, I'll I'll rest my case there, but Reeves Hive is strong. Is unbothered by any criticism. Send any no- license plates you see that say otherwise to Kellen. <laughs> Six and five Memphis, and then we kind of fall off. Which of these is the most surprising to you, Kevin? Out of these five. Sacramento and Portland at five and seven, Oklahoma City four and six, and then the Spurs and Timberwolves four and seven and three and seven. Because the one in ten Rockets and one in eleven Pelicans, that's a big nod for me. Yep, that's honestly. Right. I thought Minnesota was gonna have, and they still could, but I think I thought they were gonna surprise people here. They've lost six straight. Yeah, it's and, getting uh, bad there again. Which, like most people would say, not surprising. But I thought, like Anthony Edwards has made a jump. They just don't have supporting cast. I guess. You know what his jump has been? Huh. He's taking six more shots per game than Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, 22 a game. I need to watch the Timberwolves, I guess. Is that what you're saying? He's averaging 26 a game. Like, he's having a really good year statistically there, but it's like he is. Thought been, he'd catch up on the defense, but he is roster. now second year number one offensive option. They don't really have a point guard to get cat consistently. Delo's probably confused. Still. I think Delo's confused about what he's. His role is in this. Who's leading the uh, Timberwolves in assists, Kevin? Is it going to be Pat Bev or someone? I don't know. It is. Okay. Yeah, that's not good. That's not what you want from your... When your primary offensive option is a big man, that's not good. Yeah. Not great. I agree. They're surprising. I I guess Portland at 5-7, I thought a little bit of continuity, and people will say, like, this is who they've always been. I don't know if they've always been, like, 
kind of shaky and, they and don't this look, inconsistent. They don't look together yet. They kind of look like I always think Portland is, just like not there. I think they've always been pretty decent in the regular season. Though. That's Maybe true. Maybe it's just me. Yeah. No, that's true. All right, let's get out of here. Cardinals going to win this weekend? Yeah, they should. Are you a PJ Walker? <laughs> Walker Hive. <laughs> Walker Hive, huge XFL, AFL, whatever that was. What was he in? I think he was AFL. I will say with the most pessimistic breath possible that I think we are just kind of looking, breezing past the fact that Colt McCoy looked really good and we're not looking at this through the proper lens of it's still Colt McCoy is the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. But it's also P.J. Walker, and they should absolutely win, but I'm saying there's a little bit of room for air here that we're not willing to admit. Eno Benjamin Hive? I got him in fantasy. Running backs are hard to come by. See you next week, everyone. <laughs>